2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Amen. Thank you, George. Very good, church. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the passage just read, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I suggested to Mike Vernon this morning that for my last sermon, I might just preach all the books of the Bible I didn't get to in the last 14 years. And we could just go, you know, all afternoon into the evening. But this will suffice for today, I think. As we look at what you might call my personal calling text, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I think more than any other passage of scripture, this passage describes what I personally feel called to as a pastor, as a preacher, as an elder in the church. And I want you to know I, I've preached this passage before as well. I, I preached about seven years ago on January 11th, 2015. And the title for that message as I was working through 2 Timothy verse by verse my title was Mamas Don't Let Your Babies Grow Up to Be Preachers. Let them be doctors and lawyers and such. And I guess even as I was teaching that, I was thinking about my own calling, how I couldn't resist the preaching of God's word. And it's, it's got to be that way. And yet it's a hard work. It's not on accident that Paul says endure suffering in that task in this passage. But as we look at this passage this morning, I want to look at it a little differently than I did seven years ago. I want to look at it retrospectively on the last 12 years here in Decatur plus two in Arthur, my ministry, what I've tried to, to do here. But I also want to look prophetically at the future for myself, for Harvest Decatur. Because this is the kind of thing, this is the task that I want to prioritize for the rest of my life and that you, Harvest Decatur, should expect to be prioritized in the church. The preaching of God's word. And let me just cut to the chase this morning. Harvest Decatur, I plan to preach God's word as long as God gives me breath all the way to the end of my life, if possible. I plan to preach God's word and the gospel held therein. And I want to challenge you this final day that we have together. I want to challenge you to value the preaching of God's word and to prioritize the hearing of God's word for as long as God gives you breath and ears to hear. 
Let me pray, could I? And then I'll exposit this text. Lord, thank you for this church. I love this church. Lord, I, I need your help right now. Would you help me channel my emotions and the sensations of bittersweetness in order to teach your word and give conviction, Lord, on this matter. This is important to you. This is your word. So God, use me one last time as the herald for this church to teach what you want this church to hear. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here we go, Harvest Decatur. I want to answer two questions this morning. What do preachers do? First question, and then the second question is what preachers don't do. Let's start with what they do. Five things that preachers do. The first thing won't surprise you. They preach the word. Preachers preach the word. Paul says in this passage to his young understudy, Timothy, to whom he wrote this book, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preachers preach the word. They don't preach the newspaper. They don't preach modern philosophies or ideas. They don't preach sappy, sentimental stories from Reader's Digest. Does anybody even read Reader's Digest anymore? I don't know. They don't preach political ideologies. They don't preach encyclicals from the Pope. They don't preach country music songs. Unless it's a clever introduction for their sermon. <laughs> Preachers preach the scriptures and the gospel held therein. There's actually some debate about this. What is the word? And that might sound surprising to you in verse 2. Is, is Paul talking about the word, the scriptures, the Bible? Or is he talking about the word, the gospel? Because that word, word is used in both ways. And, and here's my view on this. In light of the previous passage, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 at the end. That's that definitive statement about the scriptures, that they are breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, Paul says in chapter 4, preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I see a connection between those two. So, so I see... Paul, in chapter 3, talking about the importance of Scripture, and then chapter 4, he's saying, preach the Scriptures. Don't just theologize about it. Use them in your ministry. And, and that doesn't mean that Paul shouldn't preach the gospel either. I, I say the Scriptures and the gospel held therein. Paul even tells Timothy in verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. And that word for evangelist there is the Greek word euangelistes, which is related to the word for gospel, euangelion. So, so basically what Paul says at the end of this passage is do the work of a gospelizer, Timothy. Gospelize people. And that's in, in the process of preaching the scriptures. Preach the scriptures and as you are doing that, you're teaching the gospel. You're preaching the gospel. You're sharing with people how they go from unsaved to saved, follower of Jesus. 
And, and why do we preach the scriptures? Why do we do that? What's our motivation for that as preachers? Well, the motivation is in verse 1, and this, this is a verse that should bring trepidation to every person who ever stands up in front of this church and utters words on behalf of God. I mean, this is, this is terrifying. You know, sorry, Paul Roberts, Ryan Jackson. Hear this. Basically, what, what Paul says here is that I'm calling God as a witness to you if you don't do this, Timothy. Yikes! I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. I hope you hear the seriousness of this. Paul invokes this solemn oath over Timothy. He charges him in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, the first and second person of the Trinity, to do this. To preach the word, John MacArthur says about this passage. He says that in this passage, every minister, what Paul's saying is that every minister ministers under the omniscient scrutiny of Christ's divine presence. No pressure here on Sunday morning. Interestingly, the, the judge here in this verse, verse 1, is Jesus. It's not God the Father, which is consistent with what Jesus says himself. Jesus said... The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, to me. I'm going to be the judge. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And Paul reinforces that idea here when he says that Christ Jesus will be the one who judges the living and the dead. Sounds like the Apostles' Creed, right? Jesus does this. And then Paul also appeals, not just to, to God the Father, not just to Christ, but also to Christ's appearing that's the second coming of Christ, and then also Christ's kingdom, by his kingdom, by his appearing, by his kingdom. That's the present future reign of Jesus. And when you put all of these appeals together, when you get through verse 1, you have this, this solemn charge, this, this serious invoking of God even as a witness to say, Timothy, I charge you, young man, young pastor, I charge you to do this work in the church. I will hold you accountable before the Lord, and the Lord will hold you accountable if you don't do this. Preach the word. Preach the scriptures. It's kind of like this. Verse 1, it's kind of like a courthouse where you put your hand on the Bible and you say, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's kind of like that. But here the truth is preaching God's word. That's what he's committed to to doing and it's a tough task and that's why the book of James says not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness so Paul says preach the word he says preach the word Paul wants preachers to preach the word and he wants churches like this one to listen to the word preached that's your task church body that's what you value. That's what you prioritize. And here's the second thing Paul tells Timothy to do. He says, be ready. Be ready. The second thing that preachers do is that they stay ready. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean, in season and out of season? Does that mean in summertime and in wintertime? Does that mean when it's, you know, 86 degrees outside, like in... 
Texas. Or even when it's single digits with snow on the ground. You know, Illinois, right? Do it there, do it here, do it where. Is that, is that what he's talking about? Seasonality? No, he's not talking about that. I like the way that Bill Mounts explains this in his commentary. He says that preachers need to be ready to preach when it's opportune and when it's inopportune. When it's convenient, when it's inconvenient. When you're relaxed and when you're ill at ease. When, when people have receptivity towards what you're saying and when people have hostility towards what you're saying. I love this quote Tommy Nelson said once. He said that Peter preached in Acts 2 and he got 2,000 converts. Stephen preached in Acts 7 and got 2,000 rocks. Which one of those guys did right before the Lord? They both did. One got receptivity, one got hostility. They both did right before the Lord. You got to be ready in season and out of season when people are listening and people when, when people refuse to hear it. You know, some people, sometimes people don't want to hear the, the word. And the preacher's got to preach it. Sometimes the preacher doesn't want to preach it. And he's got to do it. Sometimes the church doesn't want to hear. But you've got to listen. And I'm charged here to be ready in season and out of season. You're charged with being ready in season and out of season to hear the word of God preached. I have to be ready. I have to be available. I have to be studied up and prepared for that task, as does your future pastor. You likewise have to be ready, have to be teachable, have to be attentive, have to be responsive to the word of God preached. Let me just be really honest with you for a moment. I mean, there's been some times here. Sunday morning, I get here, and, you know, I'm, I'm raring, to grow, raring to go. You know, let's go. Let's preach. This is great. And, and, and my, my notes are tight. You know, my, my ideas are perfectly thought through. Everything I want to say, I'm saying. My jokes are landing. <laughs> and I think to myself, I've got the greatest job in the world. Why would I want to do anything else? Who has it better than me? Then there's some other days. Then there's some days, can I say this on my last sermon? There's some days when you guys look like the cat just dragged you in. <laughs> there's been some days where I feel like the cat just dragged me in. And I've got a hard passage to preach. Or there's a conflict brewing in the church. Or, you know, I've preached 15 depressing messages on Ecclesiastes, and the 16th message is about death. <laughs> I think, how am I going to do this again? And Paul tells Timothy, Paul tells me, you be ready every time. When you want to, when you don't want to. And church, you be ready. And part of that, I think, too, is being ready Monday through Saturday to preach effectively on Sunday. So I'm not, you know, indulging my flesh Monday through Saturday then praying for a miracle for God to do something amazing on Sunday. And, and I would say that goes for you as well. You know, don't come to church on Sunday morning emaciated after indulging your flesh all week and expect the pastor to correct all the mistakes that you've made. You be ready. You prepare your heart. You pray for your pastor. You, you know, some of you, can I just commend some of you? 
Some of you have encouraged me so much over the years. And you've even texted me and said, I'm praying for you, Pastor Tony. And some of those weeks have been the weeks that have been the hardest. And I don't, I assume it's just the Holy Spirit prompting you to reach out to me. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I do that for your next pastor. Serve him in that way. Pray for him. Encourage him and come to church ready. Write this down as a third thing that preachers do. They stay ready. They preach the word. They also reprove. Paul uses three verbs here to flesh out this idea of biblical preaching. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And this first word here, reprove, it's the Greek elonko, and it's a teaching word. It means to bring the light of understanding into the darkness of bad action. It means to bring a person to the point of recognizing their wrongdoing. It's taking a person who is doing something that's harmful and destructive and saying, look, buddy, you don't want to go that direction. Go this way. Fear God. Obey his commandments. This is better for you. Stay away from this. That's reproving. And, and you know, pastors got to do that sometimes. I know that in the last 12 plus years, I've stepped on your toes a few times from this pulpit. I know that I've hurt your feelings. I tried to tell you ahead of time when I was going to do it. Thank you for receiving from me in that way. Can I just tell you, too, you know, one of the things that a preacher does is that he interacts with the Bible first, and he's convicted first. So I've been reproved by Scripture on Thursday and Saturday in my preparation before I ever get here on Sunday. And that's the way it's got to be. Here's another thing that preachers do. Let's amp it up a little bit. Fourthly, they rebuke. This is even stronger. This is the idea of strong, strongly disapproving someone or some action, speaking seriously. This is warning people. Don't do that. This word rebuke, the Greek word is the same word that is used of Jesus when he rebukes the Sea of Galilee, the waves. The same word that's used when, you know, Moses rebuked, uh, or when Michael, the archangel, rebuked Satan over the body of Moses. He said, the Lord rebuke you. That's the same word here. It means to, to speak forcefully to someone who is defiant and resolute in their opposition to God or to his word. And, and in those moments, a pastor needs to step up and say publicly, don't do that. Or privately, elders need to step in and say, stop that. No, no pastor worth his own salt likes doing that. And, and if you do like doing that, please do us all a favor and don't become a pastor. But I'll tell you too, there are times when a pastor has to do this. This is a command, by the way, that Paul gives Timothy. Elders, we are charged with shepherding the body. And sometimes that means correction. Now, does that mean that the pastor just negatively reproves and rebukes the congregation every Sunday and 
beats the sheep. No, look what else Paul commands Timothy. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here's another thing that preachers do. You can write this down, number five. They exhort. They exhort. They parakaleo in Greek. They encourage. They urge people. They appeal to. Literally what this word means, parakaleo, is to call one person to one side. So it's like, I'm going this way, brother, sister. Come with me as we go this way. Come alongside me. Let me show you the way. And you show me the way in, in some aspects of this. It's, it's saying, do as I do, but also, do as I say, but also do as I do. Because we're in this together. Because we're serving together. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. But I'm also a sheep. I am. And this is, this work that's being done is done cooperatively as the body of Christ within the church. We do this together. You know, when pastors fail, they usually fail in two ways. Either they reprove and they rebuke and they don't encourage, and that just wears out a church. If it's reprove and rebuke without encouragement. Or sometimes they encourage and exhort, but they don't ever reprove. They don't ever rebuke. They don't ever challenge. And, you know, that's not healthy for the church body. Warren Wearsby said once that a preacher should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. That's good. John spoke about Jesus as being the embodiment of grace and truth. Finding that balance within the church is so important. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. We rebuke, we reprove, but we also exhort with complete patience and teaching. I heard a pastor on the TV once. I was watching this interview with him, and you, most of you would probably recognize this pastor. And he, as he was being interviewed, he said, well, you know, I'm not really a teacher. I'm more of an encourager. That's what I do. And I, I started screaming at my television, well, get out of the pulpit. Why are you calling yourself a pastor? Tanya was there. She's like, why are you yelling at the TV? Because this guy is mocking my profession. He's making light of what we're called to do as preachers, and he's just broadcasting it before the world. Yes, we're to encourage. Yes, we need to encourage and exhort believers, but we also need to reprove and rebuke. Finding that balance is so key. And may it never be said of Harvest Decatur, may this pulpit never lack a Bible preacher who reproves, rebukes, and exhorts the congregation. That's my prayer. Lord, provide that for as long as Harvest Decatur is in existence. Notice what Paul says at the end of verse 2, with complete patience and teaching. That's an important prepositional phrase. And, and I think that prepositional phrase applies to all three of those verbs. So what Paul is saying here is reprove with complete patience and teaching and rebuke with complete patience and teaching and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Patience is, you know, this idea of forbearance is another way to translate this word. It, Patience is key because sometimes it takes time for God's word to really seep into a person's heart. And, and as a pastor, you can't demand instantaneous change in the congregation. That'll wear them out. 
You need patience, just like God has been patient with the pastor. And then also teaching. This is the idea of consistent, faithful instruction. So you don't just reprove and rebuke. You don't just tell people things are wrong. You explain why they're wrong. And you explain a better way. And you talk people through why this road is what is right. Why this scripture says that we need to behave like this. And turn away from this. And that takes time. And that takes discipline. And that takes study. And that takes work. And you balance those things. You balance those things. I remember going, going to Cameroon and meeting with Pastor Abua, and, and I got to preach there, and, and that was really exciting, and I, I thought I did a great job preaching. I really did. I was like, man, this is my good stuff right here. <laughs> Pastor Abua, he came up to me afterwards, and he said, good job, Tony, but your preaching needs to be more bitter. <laughs> I was like, bitter? What does that mean? More bitter? What does that mean? Here's what I think he meant. The Cameroonians, as they came to church, they wanted to be convicted. They wanted to be exhorted with patience and teaching, yes, but they also want to be reproved. And, and I think in some ways, this was when I was a younger preacher, I was conditioned to think, well, you know, here's, here's an encouraging message, and let's just be encouraging. And we love that in North America. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Yes, but there's also... There's also a time to speak directly to a person's issue and to speak with specifics and to speak with precision about how we need to change and not just abstract things. I heard a pastor say once that preaching, it's not like juggling oranges, it's like throwing a javelin. Okay? And, and there are sometimes, if I could be honest with you, I just want to juggle oranges up here, you know? Look at this exegetical insight. How about this historical nugget? And li- listen to this joke. And this is fun. Da, 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 look at me. And it's just ideas. And I'm just an idea machine. And hey, here's some more ideas. Instead of a, your life throwing the javelin needs to change and needs to do more like this and more like this. God's word wants you to be transformed in this way. What does Hebrews say about the word of God? Sharper than any dual-edged sword, piercing. That's what God's word should do. That's what I, I can't say that I've always accomplished that, but I've prayed for that. Lord, give specifics. Put a javelin in my hand so that as I teach, it can pierce and change and transform. And, And let me just say this too, church body. When you come to church on Sunday, it's not wrong for you to expect that or pray for that. And, and you really have to be kind of countercultural in this day and not buy into the North American ethos where we just come for a pump up my self-esteem, Pastor. Instead, you come and you say, Lord, rebuke me today with your word if it's necessary. Reprove me. I want to leave on Sunday morning changed. I don't want to be the same person that came in here this morning. I want to leave differently. Pray to that end. Ask God to use the power of his word to do that in the corporate gathering of Jesus' church. There's power in that. Yes, you can read your Bible on your own at home, and I hope you do. But there's power in this. 
that you have access to. So that's what preachers do. Five things. They preach the word, they stay ready, they reprove, they rebuke, they exhort. But Paul doesn't stop there. He also gives us some things that preachers don't do. And, and consequently, I would say, church, these are three things. These are three things that you as a congregation shouldn't tolerate. Here they are. Three things preachers don't do. Number one, they don't abandon sound doctrine. Paul says, verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. That word for sound there is the Greek word hugiano, which could also be translated healthy. We get our English word hygienic from this Greek word hugiano. And, you know, that's the idea here. You have healthy teaching. And a good preacher is going to know what the church needs, God's word, and he's going to teach God's word in a way that's healthy. And people, you know, there are people that come and say, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't, I don't want to know what the Bible says. I don't care if the Bible forbids this. Tell me what I want to hear, preacher. Tickle my ears. Tickle my fancy. Affirm what I want to hear. Tell me what accords with my way of life and with my doctrine and with my understanding and with my identity. You know, I've been doing this a while now. And so, I mean, there's always those moments as a pastor where you, you get kind of met with either before or after the service. And someone asks you a question like, okay, pastor, well, what's your view on X, Y, and Z? And I've been doing this a while. So I know now that's a setup. Okay? That's a sting operation. What's your view on drinking, Pastor? What's your view on movies, Pastor? What's your view on homeschool, Pastor? What's your view on debt, Pastor? What's your view on the rapture, Pastor? I mean, those are tough questions. Those are good questions, but they require like a nuanced response. And in some cases, the Bible doesn't speak directly to any of those things. But oftentimes when people are coming to me with that question, they're, they're not looking to reason with me about it from Scripture. They're looking to dismiss me if I don't say the right thing at the right time. What's your view on spiritual gifts, Pastor? What's your view on women in ministry, Pastor? Whew. What's your view on government, Pastor? What's your view on divorce and remarriage? What's your view on sexuality? Not always, but oftentimes when I come, when somebody comes to me with that question, there's a desire to find a teacher that accords with that own person's passions and caters to that person's own preconceived notions about what the Bible should say on a matter instead of what it actually says. 
And a pastor can't accommodate the hobby horsing of the people, and the pastor can't hobby horse himself either. Here's the second thing that pastors, good pastors, don't do. Write this down as number two. They don't tickle ears. They don't tickle ears. Paul says, but having itching ears, that's such a great metaphor, isn't it? They will accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. Teach me what I want to hear, Pastor. Scratch this itch. Yeah. Promote this political party. Say what I want you to say, Pastor. Paul calls this itching ears, and here's how... Great metaphor. Here's how Bill Mounts explains the metaphor. You can read this on the screen. He says, rather than sound teaching, the Ephesians wanted teachers who will scratch their itching ears with doctrine that stems from their evil desires. The imagery is that their itching ears are tickled by the false teachers who teach whatever is sensational or novel, but in the end what conforms to their evil lusts. Does this kind of stuff happen in our day in some churches? Pastors catering to itching ears. You better believe it does. When I was, when we lived in Arthur, we had this, this is, this is the image that comes to my mind, okay? We had this cat, her name was Matza. And she was an outside cat and she was a killer. She'd go outside and she'd kill everything around our house. And then she'd come in and want to be like a lap cat and like, which was kind of creepy actually. Huh? And she'd sit in your lap and you'd, you'd scratch her butt and she'd wiggle and move and, you know, like whatever you were doing was never enough for her. And you'd pet her with one hand and she would headbutt your other hand. Like, you can't do this one-handed. You've got to do it two-handed. <laughs> and even when you do that with two hands, she was never satisfied. Tickle this spot, scratch this thing, get this itch, and, and I just, you know, beat it, get lost. <laughs> this is not satisfying for you or me. And that's what comes to mind when I see, the, I see the picture of the church in Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring, Paul writing, and, and kind of like my cat, the people, scratch me right here, Pastor Timothy. Oh, yeah, you know, scratch me over here, Pastor. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's good. No, no, don't forget this part over here. Just give me what I want. And Paul's telling Timothy, I, I don't know what kind of personality Timothy had. I kind of think of him as a timid person, but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, timid or not, Paul is saying very author authoritatively here, don't do that, pastor. Preach the word. Preach the truth. Preach sound doctrine. The things that people actually need, not the things that they think they need or that they want. I'll just tell you as a pastor here, my greatest experience here has been to come on Sunday morning and to have a congregation of people say, bring it, Pastor Tony. And you know what? Can I commend that? Thank you for being that kind of church. We don't have an ear-tickling church. And I praise God for that. And I desire for that to continue. And maybe some of you who have been here a while as new people come into the church, you need to show them. You need to model that. You need to encourage them and say, look, we don't want the pastor to scratch our ears. We want him to preach the word. Continue in that.
And don't ever lose that heart to hear from God, to know what God really says, to be willing to change if necessary, to be open to conviction from the word of God. Look at verse 4. Paul says, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Don't be like that. And the people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. A good church doesn't turn away from the truth. A good church doesn't turn to myths. A good preacher doesn't turn away from preaching the truth. A good preacher doesn't wander off into myths with speculation and a good church doesn't crave that kind of teaching. A good preacher doesn't get bogged down in fruitless, meaningless quarrels about, you know, things that don't matter or fear-based paranoia mongering. I listen to some pastors sometimes, not all the time, but some pastors, they sound more like Chicken Little than they do like a pastor. Instead of confidently standing before the church and saying, thus says the Lord. Instead, Paul says in verse 5, be sober-minded. Keep your wits about you. Don't be sucked into silly, foolish speculation and stupid arguments. Those don't feed the flock. Paul says, be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. Go ahead and write this down as a final thing that good preachers don't do. They don't give up on the gospel and they don't give up on the church. Paul says, be sober minded, be cool, be clear headed, think rightly about yourself and your ministry. I read a commentary this last week that. Described pastoral ministry and analogized it to war in the fog of war. And sometimes in the, in the fog of ministry, you just kind of get lost and you look for shortcuts or you start doing things that aren't in keeping with 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. And Timothy's being told here, don't get lost in the fog of war. Get a grip. Be sober-minded. You know, have the right estimation of yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. Don't think more lonely of yourself than you ought to. You, you're just a herald. You're the preacher. You know, I heard a pastor say once, and this was oddly encouraging to me, the sermon is never as good or as bad as you think it is. That really encouraged me. It's never as good as you think it is. It's never as bad as you think it is. You know, when I was young, younger, I felt this pressure every Sunday to change the course of people's lives every time I preached and to radically alter the course of their lives every Sunday. And can I just tell you, that's a lot of pressure. And I heard Tim Keller say once, he said, he was talking about how his wife describes his sermons. And he says, sometimes she'll say, you know, you hit a home run today. That was kind of how she framed it. Great, great sermon. And then sometimes she would say, you know, that was, that was good meat and potatoes. It's a good meat and potatoes sermon. And that might sound insulting. It's not. When I heard that said, that brought so much comfort to my soul. Like, I don't have to alter the course of every person's life on Sunday morning. 
Sometimes it's just, just feed the flock, just meat and potatoes. Can I give you some advice, Harvest Decatur? For your next pastor, don't hold him to the standard of radically altering the course of your life every Sunday, or else he failed. Most weeks, it'll be meat and potatoes. You know what a steady diet of meat and potatoes will do for you after years and years and years? It'll make you strong in your faith, strong in the word. Paul says, be sober-minded. Paul says, also endure suffering. In other words, don't quit, even if people quit on you. Don't quit even if people reject you for holding fast to the truth. I met with the pastor this last week, and he told me that his son is feeling called to ministry. And I said, that's great. That's great. We need more preachers. We need more ministers. But then I, I told him, tell your son to prepare to suffer. Let him know that he will receive the scorn of people who hate the church and who hate the fact that you represent the church. If he can receive that and be okay with it, then he's called to preach. Gone are the days when pastors are the respected people in the community. Now it's more scorn than anything. And Paul says endure suffering. Even if that happens, endure suffering. Paul says, do the work of an evangelist. And, and I take that to mean that the pastor needs to be more than just a Bible teacher. Okay, I, I like teaching the Bible. I do. The pastor needs to be more than just a talking head. The pastor needs to be more than just an idea machine. You know, da, 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 here we go. Here's some ideas. The pastor needs to tell people that they are sinners and that they need Christ the pastor needs to evangelize euangelion, the gospel. And this is my last chance, so let me just say before all of you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know him? Have you put your faith in him? Your time on this earth is going to be up soon. And your eternity is racing towards you. And those who know Christ Jesus as their Savior will enter on into eternity and live with him forever. And it's going to be glorious and it's going to be good. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And if you don't, and if you haven't, you will live in separation from the Lord forever and ever and ever for eternity. And I don't want you to be in that state. Put your faith in Christ. Believe the gospel. And in that same vein, Paul says, finally, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry to the people of God. Endure suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. God has given you this gift. God has called you to preach and teach and lead and evangelize. Timothy, Tony, you keep doing that and you don't quit. To all that, you might say, whoa, that's, whew, that's a lot. It's a pretty heavy job description there. Well, that's why I say mamas don't let your babies grow up to be preachers. Preachers. 
But if you're called to this, if your babies get called to this, then you take them to 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, and you say, this is the, this is the job description. This is what you do. It's not, it's not all you do, but you have to do this. Some of you might say, because I know your heart in this, you might say, well, Pastor Tony, I'm not called to be a preacher. What can I do to help? What can I do to make sure that, that this church continues this trajectory of valuing the preaching of God's word and emphasizing the preaching of God's word? I love your heart in that. If you're asking that right now, let me say three things about that. First of all, you can pray for your pastors and your elders. You can pray for Ryan as he takes on this new role as an interim pastor. You can pray for the next senior pastor here at Harvest Decatur. Or whoever fills this pulpit as a herald of God's word. Pray for them before the service on Sunday. Pray with them. Pray for their preparation throughout the week as many of you have done for me. And I thank you for that. Secondly, you can come to church hungry for God's word. Hung, give me the meat and potatoes. Come ready to hear. Come ready to be rebuked. Come ready to be reproved. Come ready to be ex exhorted. And don't come looking to critique the pastor's messages or give him constructive or less constructive feedback. The elders will take care of that, I promise you. Come to hear. Come to receive. Come to be changed. Come to live out the truth of God's word. And thirdly, pay it forward. You know, we have 40 plus kids and harvest kids who need the word of God heralded to them at their intellectual level. And you can be that person. Some of you are that person. Thank you for that. Thank you for teaching my son. Thank you for teaching the kids at this church. Thank you for teaching teaching them in a way that I can't. Yeah. Let me close with this. I wrote a poem. And I was trying to think this week about ways that I can just express my love to this church. And thank you for letting me be your pastor for the last 12 plus years. Thank you for letting me be your pastor. Thank, for you, thank you for letting me preach God's word and thank you for putting up with my mistakes and my shortcomings over the years. Thank you for putting up with me when I was the young pastor who was a little wet behind the ears. Thanks for putting up with me when I'm 
you know, the old pastor who's more get off my lawn now than ever. <laughs> Thank you. And I want you to know I'm ending my time here at Harvest Decatur But I'm not leaving the church. And I'm not disillusioned with the church in any way. I have found the church of Jesus Christ to be the best thing in this world. Yeah, she's not perfect. Because she's made up of people like you and me who are imperfect. But she's got... She's the best thing that this world has to offer. And she belongs to Jesus Christ. And so, I guess because I love the church and because I especially love this church, I wrote a poem about her. You can read it on the screen. It's called, My Love for Another Man's Bride. Is that too dicey or? <laughs> Here's how it goes. I have been enamored, beguiled, besotted by another man's bride, cherish, beloved. This bride is not perfect nor spotless holy, Yet she is beautiful, treasured, made holy. This bride has a task, and the task is empowered to preach the groom's coming at some unexpected hour, to preach the gospel, the groom's great redemption, buying back the bride with the requisite ransom. This bride has a task as the husband's ambassador, proclaiming the great virtues of her fine benefactor, Filled with his spirit, with gifts and with powers, matured as disciples with divine encounters. A bride has her duties. She fulfills them imperfectly. She's done them for millennia. She endures steadfastly. God's word preached, God's people reached, God's gospel shared, Christ's bride prepared. Gospel song sung, the gathered saints come, exult in the day of the sun, a new week rightly begun. Holy prayers prayed, holy hands raised, sovereign God entreated, anxious thoughts deleted. Proclaiming good news, sharing transcendent clues, something supernatural ensues, false notions we disabuse. This world will soon pass and its contents won't last, save Christ's esteemed bride and her ensemble cast. In him she'll be complete. In him is evil's retreat. In him is death's defeat. In him justice and mercy meet. It's true that I love this other man's bride. And until his return with her I reside. For she is me. And I am her, and in him we do abide, and we'll be with him forevermore.
even on the other side. I have been enamored, beguiled, besotted by another man's bride, cherished, beloved. This bride is not perfect nor spotless, holy, yet she is beautiful, treasured, made holy. Amen. Thank you for letting me be your pastor. Let's sing. Can we do that? Pastor Ryan, we need a song. Lord. Lord, thank you for... Thank you for your church. Lord, we love church and we as the church love you Lord thank you for saving our soul thank you for redeeming us thank you for dying for us God I want to pray in faith that you would Help this church to sustain, to press on in their commitments to you, to the word, to the gospel. God, do that work here, I pray. I pray that you would bless the next pastor here. God, use him to bless this church, to bless her people. Lord, thank you for my years here. Thanks for the time I've been able to stand at this pulpit and say, thus says the Lord. What an awesome privilege. God, give me many more days to do that, I pray. Lord, I'm reminded even now that we'll all be dead soon. (laughs) Life is so short. Lord, someday we'll be in your presence forever and we will live for you forever. And your church is the only thing that will go right on into eternity. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's sing. We need to sing. Let's sing to the Lord now.